Well, good morning again, and today we are kicking off our fall series, Miracle Grow, and it's all about how God's Spirit produces just through the miracle of His grace this organic, sustainable, spiritual growth in our lives. Uh, my name is Mark, one of the pastors. I want to welcome you. So glad that you are joining us here today, uh, not only in this room, but next door in venue or on Facebook Live. However you're with us, we are so glad. And maybe some of you, you're... You know, you've never even been to Twin Lakes before. You just thought, I'm going to go check it out. Or uh, you've been curious about what it means to be a Christian. And so you're just kind of kicking the tires of, of Christianity. And who's Jesus? What does that mean? Some of you, you've been a believer for decades. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, we, you are in the right place, whatever category you fall into. Because this series really gets to the heart of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, how we live, and who we are. And it looks like this description that comes out of Paul's letter to the Galatians in the New Testament, in chapter 5, verse 22, it says that uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And let me ask you, do you think our world could use some people that embody these types of qualities? Do you think just a little bit? I mean, my goodness, it is not hard to find the, the opposite of all of this stuff, whether it's hatred, violence, divisiveness, abuse, just the lack of civility. I mean, our world is desperate for people who embody love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I got news for you, Twin Lakes Church. This is the kind of person that you were created to be. This is, this is who we are created to be. You know, not just Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr. or Billy Graham, you and me. And the only way it's going to happen, if it's going to happen at all, is through the miracle of God's grace in our lives. And so as an overview of this entire series, I want to give you some context around these verses. We're going to be talking about growing in grace. Now, if you've been here for any length of time, you know we talk about grace a lot here at Twin Lakes Church. But today, I want to give us a sense of kind of the fullness of it. In the simplest terms, grace means to be on the receiving end of God's favor, God's love, His mercy, His forgiveness. But every good thing that we enjoy in life is an extension of His grace. You know, your, your next breath, your heartbeat, the fact you woke up this morning, your next meal, the, the beauty of creation, it's all an extension of His grace. Today, I want to draw attention to just three aspects of God's grace, and I want to give credit. A pastor named Francis Chan got a, Chan got a couple ideas from him. Also, the book that, that Adrian mentioned, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, excellent, excellent book, and I got some ideas for this sermon from that as well. So if you haven't picked one up, I really encourage you to do that. And if you don't have the money, I, that we don't want that to be an obstacle. We're not really here to make money off this book. And so if you don't have the money, just go up to one of those tables where the books are and say, uh, Mark said to put this on his account, okay? <laughs> and I'm serious. And we want you to be 
all in on this series. But again, three aspects to God's grace in our lives and how that brings about spiritual growth. And the first one is saving grace. And if you're a note taker, you can write that down in the message notes that are in your bulletin. Saving grace. And this is the aspect of grace that we're most familiar with. That we are saved by grace. But you know what? Everything from the beginning to the end of our journey of Christ uh, is, again, an extension of his grace. And Paul touches on this at the beginning where he says in Galatians 5. And by the way, Galatians is all about grace. That's Paul's theme throughout, what it means, what it looks like in our lives, what are the implications of grace. And he says in chapter 5, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now, let's just stop there at that word called. Because the reality is, we're not here today because of some innate piety in our lives. We're here because in one way or another, God has called us to gather together and to gather with him. You've been called. Don't ever take that for granted. In fact, everything inside us that, that yearns for God is there because he has placed that yearning inside of us. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3 that he has put eternity in our hearts. And you know this from your own experience. There's something inside you that, that yearns for something that's bigger and better than this very brief and broken existence that we experience in this life. That's God's grace, putting that, that yearning in us. The Apostle Paul says in Acts 17, the story is he's talking to the philosophers in Athens. And in that speech, he says that God has essentially been moving throughout history, appointing our time and our place so that we might reach out and find him, though he is not far from any of us. He has, he's been orchestrating things in your life you don't even see that, so that you might reach out for him and find him. Again, that's all part of God's grace in calling us. I can still remember a very specific moment in my life. I was nine years old. I was in a church not too far from here. I was not there because it was my choice to be there. It was my dear parents' decision to have me in church that day. And two girls that, that I knew were being baptized. And, and during their baptism... I was struck by something. A light went on in my heart, my little nine-year-old brain. The imagery of baptism, the, the, the picture of, of being buried with Christ and raised to newness and the forgiveness of sin, that, that just struck me in a very powerful way. And I knew I wanted what those girls had. I wanted Jesus. Now, there were, not a, there were a lot of things I did not understand, but there were two in particular that, that I was thinking of in that moment. The first thing was I knew that if you receive Jesus into your heart, he promises to forgive us of all of our sins. And even though I was only nine years old, I had already racked up a considerable amount of sinning. And so that sounded like a really good deal, you know, clean the slate. Mine's gotten pretty dirty. The second thing I knew was that when you, when you die, if you're a Christian, you go to heaven. And I thought, wow, that, like, that is far and away the better option. Okay? And so I'm like, I am all in. I want to, to receive Christ. And in those days, it was traditional in this church, a lot of other churches, if you wanted to become a Christian, take that first step of faith, the pastor would invite you during the last song 
to come forward in church, right? So we call it, you've got to come forward in church. You don't come down the, the center aisle. Everyone can see you during the last song, but that's all right. You're, you're going to do that. And on this particular day, the pastor didn't offer that invitation. You know, they just went into the song, and he's there looking, following the, the choir leader and singing the song. And I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he's thinking about lunch, or he's thinking, you know, Football season starts today, so he can't wait to get home. Or maybe he just thought, you know, his sermon just wasn't all that inspirational. No one's going to become a Christian. Let's just kind of close in prayer. I don't know what it was, but I was not going to let that stop me. And so during that song, without asking my parents' permission or anyone else, I just get up and I start walking down the aisle. My, my cousins are looking at me like, what, what's he doing? P people in the church are looking at me like, there's that Spurlock kid. He's going to go sabotage the service right here and now. <laughs> But that was the day that I received Jesus. Now, there, like I said, there were some things I did not understand in that moment. In fact, I'm convinced that most of us uh, do not understand a couple things when we come to Christ. The first of it is this, that when we come to Jesus, we give our lives to him. He doesn't want just like a piece of us. Like he becomes a 10% shareholder or something like that. Now, when, when he comes into our lives, he wants all of us. You know, he's not just there to kind of punch the ticket to heaven. He wants it all. It's like what really a, a, a man who's become a mentor to me. He's, he's an English pastor named, named Richard Sibbs. Richard Sibbs lived 400 years ago, uh, but he, he, really, he still speaks to me through his books. Just want to be clear on that. <laughs> Listen to what he says about the saving grace of, of God and, and where it takes us in life. He says, grace is a powerful work of the Spirit, not only revealing to us our misery and deliverance through Christ, but emptying us of ourselves as being redeemed from ourselves and infusing new life into us and afterwards, strengthening and quickening us when we droop and hang the wing, never leaving us until the conquest is perfect. Isn't that good? You know what that means? <laughs> that means that if you open up the door of your heart to Jesus, he's not just going to stay there in the entryway. In fact, he's not going to be content to just live in the guest room eventually he's going to take over the whole house. <laughs> and that really leads to the second aspect, his empowering grace. Empowering grace. Back at verse 13, Paul says, you were called to, to freedom, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, what Paul's addressing here is a misunderstanding of grace. He's been talking about it since the beginning of, really, Galatians, but chapter 5, he talks about one of two traps that we will fall into whenever we misunderstand grace. And the first trap is called legalism. 
legalism uh, stems from this thought that, that, that how can we possibly be saved, justified, 100% simply by God's grace. There's a lack of confidence in that. And so the impulse of legalism is to add some qualifications. And it kind of boils down to Jesus plus something more. You know, his, his life, death and, death, and resurrection, that's not quite enough. We've got to kind of add to that. We've got to help him out. And so it becomes often Jesus plus a set of very specific rules. Or Jesus plus a set of, of theological perspectives, and invariably they're not about the core, the essentials of faith. There are things about the periphery, biblical little molehills become mountains. They become the markers for inclusion in that particular group. So again, in short, legalism is Jesus plus anything in terms of, you know, being justified before the Lord. Now, again, the impulse behind legalism is there's this concern that if I emphasize grace too much, you know what's going to happen? People are going to take that, they're going to run with it, and they're going to go off and live sloppy lives. And sometimes that's exactly what happens. And that brings us to the second trap of misunderstanding God's grace, and it's that grace gives me license to just go and do whatever I want. And yet that's exactly why Paul says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So whether it's the, you know, the, the rule makers on one side or the rule breakers on the other, it doesn't matter if it's either self-righteousness or selfishness. In the process, people invariably get chewed up in those kind of environments. You get chewed up in those traps. And again, Paul follows with this at verse 15 when he says, If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. There is a destructive, mutually destructive nature to either legalism or license. But the beauty of God's grace is that it empowers us to love others as much as we even love ourselves. And you know what? You can't manufacture that kind of love. You can't will yourself into that kind of love. And certainly no rule can compel you to love that way. But the Spirit can, and the Spirit does. And think about it. Love is the antidote to self-indulgence. If you truly love someone, you're not going to cheat them. You're not going to harm them. You're not going to rob them. You're not going to abuse them because the love of Christ will form the appropriate boundaries on your behavior. And that's why there is freedom in this, and, it's, and there's a beauty in this. Now, the, the question is, though, and this is a rather big question, how do we actually live this out? And the short answer is, we don't, at least in our own strength. We need the empowering grace of God through His Spirit and Paul's going to tell us how this happens, how this works, starting at verse 16, when he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. 
Now, the good news is this. When, when, when we come to Christ, we're given, the, the Spirit of the Lord indwells us, lives in us, and we're given a new nature. That's the good news, and that's how uh, we, we learn to grow. But the bad news is this, that the old nature is still there. And the two do not get along. Did you get what Paul was saying? They, they're, they're in opposition. They, they're in conflict with each other. And by the way, Paul calls this, this sin nature and it's this old nature the flesh. Not because our bodies are intrinsically evil. He calls this, he calls this the flesh because it, it's so embedded in us. I mean, from, from, from conception, from birth, it's embedded inside us, us this this sinful nature. If you're a parent, you never have to teach your kids how to lie, how to hit, how to disobey. They just come by it naturally. We all do. That's the flesh. That's the problem. So Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh because they're they're mutually exclusive. Okay, You can't walk in the Spirit and walk in the flesh at the same time. It, it just doesn't work. In fact, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about the health benefits of walking. How many of you just like to walk, uh, not only for pleasure, but for exercise? Because it's, it's the more they learn, the more it's just such an excellent way to exercise. And you don't have to, you know, you're not going to pull a hamstring on a walk, probably, or you know, get an ACL blowout or something like this. So all these benefits. And, and not only that, but think about where we live. I mean, it's incredible. All the options that we have to go for walks, you know, West Cliff Drive, and, you know, Pleasure Point, East Cliff, or go to Henry Cowles, or Nicene, Redwood Forest. I mean, we are so blessed. So let's, let's just pretend. Let's imagine that we all decide, you know, for the sake of our health, uh, we're going to start walking. And uh, we're really excited about that. And so, you know, we, we get our special walking shoes and, and we get our walking outfits on. And, and we, some of us are like the Lycra people and some of us are not the Lycra people. But whatever, it's okay. We're all one in the, the spirit of God. And, and then we get, you know, we got your, your hat and your glasses. And if, if you're like me, you know, you have to smother yourself with sunscreen. But we get ready. We're going to go for a walk. We're so excited, kind of heading out the door. And I think, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold up. Hold up. I, I almost forgot one of the most important things for this walk. I forgot the Cheetos, right? And so we're walking along and say we're on West Cliff Drive and there's Mark going, I don't know. Huh? This walk is awesome, guys. Mom, I'm, I'm feeling all, look, look at that, a whale. Awesome. Mm. Mm. But day after day, I... I'm not getting the benefit out of walking, okay? I'm not having it. So I'm going to walk faster. Now, this is the trick right here. And after a couple months, I just conclude. I'm stuck now. This whole walking thing, it's overrated, okay? I gained weight. What is the deal? All right. Now, you'd never do that. Nobody does that, okay? We all know Cheetos are not for walking. They're not for exercise. Cheetos are for the couch, right? (laughs) Cheetos are for when you want to indulge the flesh, not do something that's, that's healthy. Um, or, is Elizabeth in here? 
If you're pregnant, you probably like these too. I will save those for her. That will be my gift. Where are we? Paul is saying, just keep walking in the Spirit. Just keep walking. You won't indulge the desires of the flesh. And what I mean by this, this is where we, this is why prayer, Bible study, gathering together on a weekly basis, when we get together and we worship, we hear from God's Word, all of these things, times together, times alone, these are times we, we not only make space for the Spirit's influence in our life, but we're, we're participating in this and cooperating with us, and, and the Spirit cultivates the soil of our hearts and nourishes us and strengthens us as we walk in the Spirit. Paul says at verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, you're not under the law because the Spirit has set you free to serve out of love. Not because there's some rule that if you don't do, you feel guilty or you feel obligated. You do it because the the Spirit has given you the love, the desire to do it. In other words, though, there's there's a little thing that he says I don't want us to miss. He says, if you are led. Little word with big implications, right? The point being, we still have a choice. God's power is available to us, but we get to cooperate. We, we actually get to invite the Spirit to do His work in our lives. It's not about becoming some kind of robot where, you know, you have no more control, no more will. We have, a, we have the ability to say, Lord, I want you to lead me. And I have to say, if I'm keeping it real, I, I've been thinking this week about how rarely I think about, uh, you know, coming to the point where I consciously say, Father, lead me by your Spirit. Lead me, okay? Uh, There are things I want the Spirit to do in my life. I want the Spirit to to be a source of comfort and encouragement and blessing, and I want the Spirit to, you know, empower me if I'm preaching or teaching or doing something. Those are all kind of right there, very obvious to me. But, But to say, Holy Spirit, Will you lead me? Wherever that may be. I mean, that's a scary proposition if you really think about it, because what if the Spirit leads me someplace I don't want to go? What if the Spirit were to lead me to a change in career, a change in zip code? I mean, it's, it takes a lot of trust to hand the keys of your life over to God and say, now lead me from this point forward. But you know what? If you find yourself in that that place, when you find yourself in in that place, I want you to be encouraged because that's the Spirit of God working in you. When you get to the place where you say, Father, not my will, but your will be done, that's what I want more than anything else. I got news for you. That's the Spirit of Christ speaking through you because the flesh has no interest in that kind of surrender. None at all. But the, the, the Spirit brings us to a place where we grow in love, we grow in obedience, and it all starts with that saving grace, that little seed of faith, and then we, we, again, we grow in obedience and love and Christ-likeness through the empowering grace of God, and along the way, we, 
we change. We become examples of his transforming grace. We become more and more like Christ. And through this passage, Paul has really been uh, comparing two very different ways to go through life, walking in the spirit or living in the flesh. And so in this next section, he's going to kind of draw out the implications of this. He's going to see this is what it looks like when it comes to fruition, and he's going to start with the flesh and what it looks like when the flesh, life in the flesh, reaches full bloom, you might say. And it says, starting at verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, which in those days involved uh, drugs, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And, and, okay, sounds like my college dorm. I mean, it really does. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, hey, I'm on that list. I'm on this list, and I'm not alone. Because if we're being honest, we're all on this list one way or another. Maybe not all of these things. But some of these things at times, and he says, this is not exhaustive. He says, these things and the like. We all, at times, live in the flesh. That's why we need a Savior. But Paul's not talking here about periodic struggles with sin. I don't think he's even talking about long, difficult, painful struggles with sins. I think what Paul is saying is, this is what it looks like when the flesh reigns supreme in your life. This is what it looks like when you have no other Lord than you. Because if you're your own Lord, that, man, that might feel liberating at the beginning, but you know where it leads? It leads to slavery, absolute slavery. Paul says, verse 21, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, those are sobering words. But again, we're talking about the defining characteristics of a person's life. The things that, that they lived in those things, so they did not inherit the kingdom of God. And you know why they did not inherit the kingdom of God? It's because they did not want it. In the final analysis, they didn't want it. Because you know what? After all, the kingdom of God has a king. And that king is Jesus. And why in the world would you want to live in a kingdom when you, you want nothing to do with its king. You see, at that, that, that moment of saving grace, even if we're, we're just barely aware of it, even if that's just the tiniest seed, there is something in that moment where, where, where we are saying, Jesus, I want you to be my king. I want you to be the one who rules in my life. Again, even if we are just barely aware of it, even if it's just a little mustard seed of faith, as Jesus would call it, or even if it's like the man who said to Jesus one time, I believe, Lord, now help me in my unbelief. God, he takes that little seed that was placed there by his grace. And by his spirit, he starts to nurture it and cultivate it and cause it to grow because now there's life in it. 
and it grows and eventually it, it turns into a tree. We turn into a tree and that tree, because it's alive, it produces fruit. And that brings us to the theme verse for our, our emphasis this fall. Verse 22. Why don't you read this with me? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the Spirit does in our lives because of His grace. That's the promise of, of that. Now, isn't this the person you always long to be? I mean, there's such beauty, there's such appeal to these things. And I'll tell you why. It's because this is a portrait of Jesus Christ. Jesus embodies all of these things perfectly. And, he, and, and here's the holiness is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's lovely. And that's what the Spirit is producing in our lives by His grace. He transforms us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, some of us may be at the very beginning of that. Or maybe you haven't even begun that journey yet. But, but he's, he's calling you. You're not here by accident. But even in those early, early parts of the journey, you start to see little promises of fruit, little, little blossoms, little buds. Be encouraged by that because that's the promise that there is more to come. Some of us, man, you've been walking with the Lord a long time. The Holy Spirit's done a deep work in your life. And, and uh, well, I wouldn't want to call you ripe, but <laughs> you're mature. You're mature and you're a blessing. You're a beautiful portrait of Christ to those around you. That's why Paul adds, against such things, there is no law. In other words, <laughs> you don't have to fence these things in. You don't have to put a restraint on love, joy, peace, and so on. You just let them bloom. You let them grow. You let them prosper. By his grace, our prayer is that we will all grow as the Spirit works in our lives over these next nine weeks. Because listen, Paul says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is what growing in grace looks like. It, it, it looks like keeping in step with the Spirit. In fact, this is what this series is about. This is the opportunity we have to grow in grace with the Spirit. Are you willing to lean into this? Are you willing, Twin, Twin Lakes Church, to, to embrace this opportunity because, listen, I don't think that any of us, nine weeks from now, will go, you know what, I got as little out of that as I possibly could. Yeah. No. Plunge yourself into this. Make yourself available to what the Spirit wants to do in your life. In other words, let me just put it this way. Can we agree that for the next nine weeks, we're just going to put the Cheetos down and we're going to go for a walk? Can we, can we agree to that? Can I hear you, Twin Lakes Church, that you're on board with that? It's just, man, I, this could be amazing. What if God were to do a, an amazing work of revival in this church and what that would mean for our community? It could be so powerful. Now, I want to close speaking to those of you who, for whatever reason, it's, it's not resonating. Maybe it's like, ah, it's another church program. No, it's not another church program. Or... Maybe you're thinking, 
you know, Mark, I am so weary. I'm so tired. I'm so confused. I'm so sad. I just don't, I don't even think, I don't know, I don't have any expectation of what God might do in my life. Perhaps there was a time when you had a little seed of faith in your heart, and that seed, you know, it got stepped on. It got trampled. It got abused. And so now it's gone cold. It's gone dormant in your life. In fact, as far as you're concerned, it's dead. You know, this week I read a story, a fascinating story, about how in 2012, Russian scientists, they discovered these seeds way down in the Siberian permafrost, 125 feet down, where the temperature is a steady 19 and a half degrees. But in the very same area where they typically find the bones of woolly mammoths and woolly rhinoceroses, they find this, this cache of seeds, and they're actually able to propagate, propagate these seeds and turn them into living plants. In fact, here's a picture of one right here. They don't even have a common name for this because it hasn't been around for a while. In fact, you want to know how old those seeds are according to radiocarbon dating? 32,000 years old. 32,000 years and they're growing plants from those seeds. Now, what's amazing is the story gets even better because they're like, well, how in the world did this little, this little kind of treasury of seeds get, get set down in the permafrost and just in the perfect conditions? How did they get there? Well, there's another story because way back in 1946, some uh, Russian political dissidents were, were put in prison and they were forced to hard labor. They were digging in mines in the very same area where they found these seeds. But they didn't find the seeds, they found something else. They found these prehistoric Arctic ground squirrels. In fact, they were perfectly mummified. This is one of them right here, down below the permafrost. Anyone care to ask how old these guys are according to the same measurement of radiocarbon dating? About 32,000 years old. Now, unfortunately, they were not able to revive the squirrels. <laughs> but there's this amazing story of these little squirrels, you know, stowing away these seeds down in their burrows. And 32,000 years, scientists are able to grow those seeds into plants. Now, here's my point. If mere mortals can coax life out of seeds that have been frozen and dormant for 32,000 years, I am confident that Jesus Christ can bring life out of the seed of faith in your heart, no matter how cold or dead you think it is. Because after all, after all, he is really good at resurrections. Really good. And so my question to you, wherever you're at, whether you feel discouraged, whether you feel ready, you feel somewhere in between, you got a lot more questions and answers, wherever you are, are you willing to ask this question, am I ready to grow in grace? Are you ready to grow in grace, Twin Lakes Church? And if you are, man, buckle up, because we are praying that the Spirit is going to show up in a powerful way. In fact, let's pray towards that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us, expressed supremely in Jesus Christ.
And Lord, before I get to this little prayer at the end of our notes, I, I do, I just feel led to speak to the person who, like me, when I was nine, felt you calling on their heart. Who, like me, knew that today was the day that I said yes. And if that's, that's you, you might not understand it all, but, but you understand, you admit that you need a Savior. Okay? You've got the scars to prove it. You've got the track record to prove it. You, you know that. And you believe, as much as you understand, that Jesus came and he, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for you. And your sins were nailed to that cross. He took the punishment. And not only that, but he didn't stay down in the, the ground. He rose to life. And because of that, this is a bona fide promise. We have a living Lord who says, I will forgive you of your sins and I will redeem your life. And that life that I give you, it starts here and now, but it extends into eternity. And you just want to follow him. You want to say, yes, if that's you, I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand. You don't have to walk down the aisle. You just, just raise your hand right now so that you know there was a time I raised my hand. We just, everyone else got their heads down. They're not worried about this. But you raise your hand, yes. Lord, I pray, I pray for those today who just want to say yes to you, and, and I pray that you bless them every step of the journey from here on out. I know you will because of the power of your grace. And Lord, I just want to close with this little prayer that John Stott would pray every day, a lovely pastor. I pray it for myself and for everyone here, everyone next door, everyone watching, wherever they are. Heavenly Father, we pray that this day we may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, we pray that this day we may take up our crosses and follow you. Holy Spirit, we pray this day you will fill us with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives. Give us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.